We are indeed privileged tonight to have a guest speaker. Uh, Jamie Coleman is here with us. Uh, Jamie visited us not too long ago, was it? Maybe four or five weeks ago, and we're so, so glad to have him back. He will be speaking, us, speaking to us tonight. Um, he lived in China as a missionary for a couple of years. He came back because he was uh, amazed by someone going to DTS, right? And we call her Z, right? Now, I'm going to take a, a stab at her. Azaida? Azaida? Very close, but Z works, okay? Uh, but we are delighted to have you guys. Uh, they've been in the area about four years. They live in Mesquite. They have two amazing little boys, I understand. Caleb is two years old, and Jonathan is one. And we'll have a sheet up here if you want to sign up for babysitting afterwards. I, th I think they're always looking for babysitters. Uh, but Jamie is the pastor of a sister church in our area called Nexus Community Church. We've had some connections with them. Um, actually, I was serving on staff at Richardson Church of the Nazarene when uh, Nexus was, began meeting and had a church plant. And he's going to share kind of the journey of what that was, what it looks like today. But what Jamie wanted me to share with you is that he is very passionate and, and about leading his community. And he's very devoted to God through his work. Could you please welcome Jamie Coleman? That was planned. So on the left picture, you see my wife, and then our two-year-old son on the left, Caleb, one-year-old son, Jonathan. That picture was taken about a year ago. On the right, this is the updated picture with Caleb and Jonathan there left, right. Jonathan just turned one year old uh, at the end of November. Another fun fact about me is that I am an MK. No, I'm not a missionary kid. I'm a motivator's kid. My dad, growing up, was a motivational speaker in the state of Kansas. He didn't travel nationwide because he wanted to be present uh, for his family, but he did travel and was well-known throughout the state of Kansas. Now, when Pastor Adam came and visited me and wanted to see if I was interested to speak at the neighborhood church, the way he set up the invitation reminded me of a story that my dad used to tell at the beginning of some of his talks to lighten up the crowd. He would say something like, I don't know if you know this or not, but here's how I got invited. Pastor Adam wanted to invite the best speaker. He wanted to go big for you all this time and invite the best speaker in the state of Texas. So he called the best speaker and that person said, no, can't come, won't do it. So then he and Pastor Bud and Pastor Kathy got back together and, and they put their heads together and Pastor Bud said, why don't we invite the most enthusiastic speaker in the state of Texas? He'll do a great job for us. So they called the most enthusiastic speaker and that person said, no, can't come, won't do it. So they got back together. Pastor Adam was like, it's coming down to the wire. 
we got to get somebody. Pastor Kathy said, why don't we invite the best looking guy in the state of Texas? So they called me. What are you laughing at? Pastor Kathy, isn't that how it went? No, seriously, I didn't want to turn you down all three times. That's how my dad would introduce himself and some of his motivational talks. But what reminded me of that little story was that it, was, it felt the exact opposite of how Pastor Adam approached me. He basically said, hey, all of our uh, people are basically gone. <laughs> no, not, he didn't say that. He did say, though, that a significant uh, part of the congregation would be gone. He would be gone. Pastor Bud would be gone. He said Pastor Kathy might be gone. And so, hey, would you, you've been here once. Would you please come and speak for us? And so I, was, I, felt, uh, I, felt a, 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 I felt humbled by that invitation, but I am delighted to be here. I enjoy your name, the Neighborhood Church. It reminds me of John 1.14, the message translation. The NIV says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the message translation puts it very strikingly in a beautiful image. The message translation says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I don't know if that's how you got your name, but that really strikes me as a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus, who didn't hold himself at a distance from us, but came so near to us, as to come across to the other side of the tracks and move into the neighborhood. And not just to do so for a little short-term missions trip and then go back to his comfortable place at the right hand of the Father, but instead to stay and dwell among us. Love that picture of Jesus moving into the neighborhood. I also like the name The Neighborhood Church because it connects with who we are and what our passion is at Nexus Community Church. We are sort of a neighborhood church. That's a picture of us right there. Nexus Community is a church based entirely out of an apartment complex at the intersection of Forest Lane and Odelia Road, just in northeast Dallas. We use the clubhouse or community center at the property to hold our worship service on Sundays at 5, and then our church rents an apartment at the same property that I office out of throughout the week and that we have our ministry hub in. So it's kind of an outside-the-box, out-of-the-norm model for doing church. What I love about it is it, <clears throat> it models what Jesus did to move into the neighborhood. It puts us into the lives of people that we're ministering to day in and day out. Like Jesus moving into the neighborhood, not just for a short time and leaving, but to stay, to incarnate himself, uh, and that was his heart. Today I want to address the question in my talk, <clears throat> two questions in fact. The first question I want to address is this question, what does transformational ministry look like in a community like ours, yours and mine, where there is great diversity, great spiritual need, and Included in that mix is the presence of poverty. What does transformational ministry look like in that type of context? 
At our apartment complex, there are about 1,500 units. Now, if you multiply two and a half per unit, that gets to be about 3,500 people, just right there in that one apartment complex. Many of these people are immigrants, refugees. Many more are people living on the bubble, at or near the poverty line. All it takes is losing one month of income and maybe they're out on the streets. Our church has chosen through a call of God to bind ourselves to this community. Nexus comes from a Latin word that literally means to bind. We have chosen to bind ourselves to this community, to be present among them and to work for their good. And so this is a question that's burning on my heart and on our hearts as a community. What does transformational ministry look like in that kind of context, especially where our church consists of some black but predominantly white, middle to upper class people who don't live at the apartment complex, although more and more, more of our members are coming from the apartment complex. That's a great thing. You know, due to the transient nature of apartment living in Northeast Dallas, we've had over the course of our ministry several people, uh, several families come be a part of our, our church and our ministry and participate, but for, for various reasons they've had to move out. So most of our core members at this point commute in from outside the apartment complex to be a part of our ministry. So what does transformational ministry look like in that kind of context? And here I want to introduce a three-step process that I have come to really embrace as our philosophy of ministry. It's something that I learned from a mentor and that is really shaping and informing how we approach ministry. I want to recommend it to you as a three-step process that is very, I think, pertinent to understand and essential for ministering in a community where there's, pres- where there's a presence of poverty. They are, the three steps, exposure, engagement, and what I call redemptive entanglement. The first step is exposure. Pretty self-explanatory. In order for us to get drawn into something, we first need to get exposed to it. We need to have an experience of visiting something, seeing something, uh, going to someplace. We need to have an exposure to how people are living. And when that exposure happens, God has a chance to wreck our hearts. We may have a great, uh, deep passion that arises out of that exposure to something. And we also come to the awareness and we open up to the reality of how much we have, material, spiritual, and otherwise. One example in our ministry of a good, um, of a good example of, of exposure has to do with a, a class that's now visiting our ministry. Here's a picture of that class. This is a class from Criswell College, downtown Dallas. Uh, I became a friend of, a prof- of the professor of this class. His name is Dr. Worthington. Dr. Worthington teaches a ministry practicum class. For a semester, the first seven weeks, the students of this class have to do research on a specific people. 
And then for the next seven weeks, they have to go out and get practical ministry experience among that people. And they selected Nexus for the ministry site uh, to help their students get exposed specifically to the Afghan people. And so for seven weeks, they will be coming out. They started last Saturday, or last Tuesday, sorry. And this is a picture of one event that we got them Uh, that we use to get them exposed to the Afghan community. What you see there is a picture with uh, the students. And what we do do every month at the apartments is we'll hold a hot dog cookout. And we'll just uh, uh, invite people from the community. We'll put it out front of the leasing office at the first of the month so that we catch traffic coming in and out of the office and have a chance to just show people, share with people that we're here and that we care. And so they had a chance to Uh, be a part of that, and get exposed to the community. An example of exposure. Exposure is a necessary and important part of the process, but you can't stop there. That's not transformational ministry. We need to go on to the next step, which is engagement. Engagement is not about one and done. We went, we saw, we took a few selfies, and then we went back to our comfortable environment. Engagement is the next level of taking part in some way, consistent way, in ministry. It's the person who says, you can count on me at this day of the month or this day of the week from this time to this time, or you can count on me to be a financial contributor of this particular ministry. Another example from our ministry about engagement this time, about Three, about, no, two and a half months ago now, there was a massive fire at the vineyards where we hold our ministry, the vineyards at Forest Edge Apartments, that left 12 families homeless. The fire destroyed the entire apartment building, 12 units, uh, all occupied with 12 families, and it happened in the, in the evening, in the nighttime, and so they had to, uh, all of a sudden, found out there was a fire and rush out of their homes And basically, they lost everything in a four-alarm fire. Well, our church uh, has our apartment complex, our our apartment unit, right next to that building that caught fire and burned to the ground. And we decided as a community to respond and to come around and to come alongside the families. We raised somewhere around the range of upwards of $5,000 to help with the rebuilding of these families. Now, how do we approach that? How do we approach assisting these families rebuild with that $5,000? Well, the example of engagement is our members wanting to go to bat and to be uh, recipients of these donor dollars and then to distribute them to the family. So in the picture right there, what you see is uh, me standing with three families that we had just bought three laptop computers for. They lost all their electronics in the fire And so we bought those three laptop computers, and we had security software downloaded onto it. We had Microsoft Office downloaded onto it so that they could just use it and move right into uh, using it for their kids or for their business. One of those gentlemen wants to uh, start a business, so he wants to use that computer for that. There's a few other families there that have uh, middle or high school-aged kids. So that's an example of engagement at the level of need. But if we're not careful, we can remain stuck in expose and engage. 
And that may lead to helping that hurts, viewing people as victims, and paternalism. And we don't want to do that because that doesn't lead to transformational ministry. We need to go on and ask the question, is the work that I'm doing, is it just relief and betterment? Or is it actually creating the conditions for human flourishing to happen? We, you and I can't make transformational ministry happen, but we can partner with the Lord and create the conditions within which transformational ministry can take place. So that, that third step that we need to go on to of creating those conditions in which transformational ministry can take place is entanglement. God, I believe, has wired all of us to become redemptively entangled in something, in a calling, a mission, to become involved in it at the level of presence, building trust, building relationship, and investing our resources. And that's the direction we're moving in as a church. That's how we filter decisions. Is this going to lead to creating the conditions for human flourishing to happen, beginning with a right relationship with God and with others? An example of redemptive entanglement. I could use the example of our Magnificent Moms class. We have a pediatrician in our church who's uh, one of the best. He just got an award for to be uh, as one of the best pediatricians in Dallas. Well, he leads a group once a month called Magnificent Moms where uh, we invite mothers of infants who live at the apartment complex and who are also a part of our own church to come to our apartment unit. And Dr. Mitchell conducts a class where the ladies get together, they connect with each other, they share what's going on, they share the ups and downs of mothering, and then Dr. Mitchell shares uh, on a topic of child raising for infants, how to help infants sleep through the night, how to uh, help infants become healthy eaters, etc. And it's very, uh, a very beautiful way to intersect deep into the lives of women, including a woman named Darlene. I'll just use that name. That's not a real name, but I'll use the name Darlene. Darlene came to know our church through an event that we held at uh, the apartment complex, and then she was invited, and she participated in a few service projects. She hadn't been to a worship service yet, but she was turned on to just helping out in the community. Darlene is the mother of three kiddos, all under the age of three. She has a full-time Job, uh, a full-time job just as a mother. She's a single mother living it there at the apartment complex. Well, we uh, at one point helped her with emergency assistance because her newborn went into the NICU uh, for some uh, reasons. And so out of that, we helped her with emergency assistance. And then, but we didn't just stop with emergency assistance. Uh, we want to create the conditions in her life, help to create the conditions for transformation to happen. And so we invited her to Magnificent Moms. And this past uh, two weeks ago, she came for the first time. And Darlene is a person who shares uh, openly, vulnerably, uh, about her situation. And, And the women were able to come around her, encourage her. Dr. Mitchell was able to speak into the situation that she's uniquely in. Redemptive entanglement. That's a, one picture that entanglement could look like. When it comes to the neighborhood church, 
I'm guessing that you're exposed to this neighborhood. And I'm guessing that many of you are actively engaging in ministry here in this neighborhood. What would redemptive entanglement look like here in this neighborhood? just want to raise that question for you to consider and think about. And as we think about it, I want to ask the second question. First, the question was, what does transformational ministry look like? Second, how do we move from engagement, which can lead to paternalism, seeing people as victims and helping that hurts, to redemptive entanglement and transformational ministry? Now, I'm not uh, an expert at this, but I can share with you the five practices that we are seeking to practice in order to help create the conditions for redemptive and transformational ministry. Those five practices begin with the letters B-L-E-S-S, and so I'm going to use the word bless as an acrostic. The first is begin with prayer. I kind of cheated on that one. Begin with prayer. It all starts with prayer when it comes to creating the conditions for transformational ministry. Prayer is the means by which God gets a hold of our hearts, and prayer is the link between heaven's resources and our community's need. Prayer is how we stand in the gap for our community. God has called us to be people of prayer. Prayer is how it started for Jesus. In the opening chapter of Mark's gospel, we're told a story of Jesus prioritizing prayer in his ministry. Rising early before dawn, going out to a solitary place, creating space for prayer. We are called to prioritize prayer. If Jesus did it, how much more must we? In the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel, we're told that Jesus, before sending out the disciples two by two, with his authority to heal and proclaim the kingdom of God, he gives them this instruction. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into his harvest. It all begins with prayer. A a tool that I want to recommend to you is a tool called blesseveryhome.com. I use this every day, Monday through Friday. I get an email. You see the uh, screenshot of the email there uh, from blesseveryhome.com. I open up that email and I receive uh, an email with this particular uh, content. It gives me five names to pray for in my community. Now, blesseveryhome.com uses the latest uh, marketing technology or marketing information and mapping technology, and it, can, it brings it together to where you can put your address, your your, your specific address, and it will pull up the names of your closest neighbors right around you, and you, be, you can begin to pray for them by name. Now, at the apartment complex, since, since it's a, a very transient uh, population there, that really doesn't work for us. Uh, if I pull up, if I type in the, the address of our, apartment complex, of our apartment unit there, I will get names of people that lived there two years ago or one year ago. Uh, And maybe that's not accurate at this point. So instead, this tool also allows you to input names into the system and then receive five of those names each day to pray for them. So you could use this tool to pray for your coworkers. Get a list of your coworkers' names, input them into the system, and then 
automatically every day you're emailed a list of five names. You could use this to help your children pray for their classmates. Input all their names into the system, and then every day you and your child can pray for their classmates. BlessEveryHome.com. I recommend it to you. So the first step to creating the conditions is begin with prayer. The second step begins with an L, and that's the step of listening. Listen to God. Listen to your neighbors share their stories. Listen for what they value, what they long for, what they're, where they're hurting. Learn the stories of the community, the neighborhood, the people that you feel led to, to invest in. Listen with your eyes as you drive through the community. Listen as you prayer walk in the community. Listen for how God moves your heart. You know, listening allows us to humble ourselves before the people that we feel led to invest in and serve and learn from them. And not be the ones to come and say, we know what is best for you. One example of listening in our ministry gave birth to a ministry in which we help refugees create resumes and then plug them in with a staffing company called Amplio Recruiting. It was a ministry that was birthed out of listening to the needs, practical needs of our refugee friends. We don't have a resume. We feel underemployed. Gosh, I'm not using the skills and the education that I have. I'm just working a basic job, barely making it, surviving, barely able to put food on the table. And so we're hearing this need. Do you know how to, do you you have a resume? Can we help you? And yes. And so now we're creating an atmosphere when we meet together with them to help them write a resume, to listen to them, to hear their story to hear their background, to hear their education, to hear their work experience. A ministry that both was birthed out of and, gave, and gives rise to listening. You know, we Westerners are quick to take the initiative, to take action. And that's good. That's my default, to take action when there's a need. But listening is a necessary first step for transformational ministry. Otherwise, our service to others might actually be frustrating them hindering them, holding them back. The third practical step that we're going about practicing is, begins with an E and is eat together. This is my favorite. How fun is it to know that eating together can play a part in transformational ministry? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is seen at nine different meals. And at three of those meals, he's pictured as the host. He practically eats his way through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus extended table fellowship to anyone and everyone in his society. No one was too shameful. No one was too dirty. And that was a sign to show that he was opening and offering the kingdom of God to all. Not only so, but Jesus knew that eating together creates a unique space, a sacred space, For people to know and be known. For trust and relationship to be built. And so over the summer, we wanted to utilize the power of eating together to build relationships with the employees at the leasing office where we we have our ministry. There are about 30 to 35 employees 
at that leasing office. Mark is not one, by the way. Uh, he was helping us put this, uh, this uh, lunch on. But over the summer months, June, July, August, we decided to cater and host and serve a meal for the 35 employees at that leasing office, from maintenance all the way up to the apartment manager. And you should have seen um, how awesome it was to see those employees get together around food. You, you would be surprised at how many people did not have each other's numbers, and they started taking down e- each other's numbers. And one person started sharing her story. Uh, she was the assistant manager and started sharing how many grandchildren she had and, and this and that. And out of that, she expressed a desire to learn more about the Bible. And so we, we started meeting for a Bible study. Uh, her name is Rosa. Um, eating together, a great tool for creating a space for relationship to be built. Eating, eating together could take the form of having tea together having coffee together, meeting over a lunch break. Just this afternoon, just to share with you about kind of what I get to experience on a, on a daily basis, I had tea with uh, a new Afghan friend named Niaz, who tells me that he has left Islam and has now come to believe in a God of nature. Had tea with him. And then about 30 minutes later, I had tea with an, a Somali friend, a Somali Muslim friend whose name is Abbas, who has... Uh, six or seven kids and, and who we connect with on a regular basis. Getting together over tea. You know, we judge the success of our ministry not by the number of converts per se, but by the number of cups of tea that we're drinking and the number of com- real conversations that are coming out of those times. So we have begin in prayer, listen, eat together, and then out of the listening and eating together, then we learn how people want, th- want us to serve them. Then we have permission to show practical, uh, to meet practical needs and show and demonstrate the love of Christ. One of the greatest assets of the kingdom at the vineyards is our friends Matt and Christina Palmer. <clears throat> A year ago, the vineyards wanted to hire an activity director, and they came to me and they asked me first to be the activity director. I said, probably not, but let me get someone, let me help you find someone else to do that. And the Lord raised up a woman named Christina, who was getting married at that point to a man named Matt, who's from South Africa. And they moved into the apartment complex with a kingdom mindset to their employment there at the vineyards. And so what they do is every month they organize an event that just for the purpose of uh, creating life, helping to create life and community there at that apartment complex. And they're a part of our church, and so we get to tag along with them and be volunteers at all these events. And so this was a recent event where we had a sports day during a summer uh, afternoon or summer morning and enjoyed getting to know these kids and their parents. And out of that uh, came a new relationship with a a member or a a resident there at that complex. Again, out of the listening and eating together, people will tell us, or we will hear how people would like us to serve them. Bless, 
Begin in prayer, listen, eat together, serve, and finally, story. The doors opened to share our story and to share his story after we hear their story and listen to them. A mentor of mine is um, fond of using this quote. He He says, good works produce goodwill that opens the door for good news. And Jesus said something similar in Matthew 5. He said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. With many people these days, it's not the five spiritual, the four spiritual laws that's the lampstand any longer. It's, it's creating the conditions for life to flourish in their lives. That's the lampstand on which we can then share his story and invite them into that. I had a wonderful time with a friend named Kudratullah, a friend named Q. He's there taking the selfie. That was at a Mavericks game. But just a couple weeks ago, Q and I were sharing tea together, and I had brought a bag of a lot of these little um, uh, travel-size shampoos, conditioners, body lotions, body washes, etc., soaps. And I had, uh, had been given by one of our members a whole bag load of all these. And so we decided, okay, let's, I, let's get some kiddos together to help us kind of with this little service project. So I, I thought Q would be a great person. He has four girls um, under the age of uh, third grade. And so I went over to his house and he said, yeah, bring them on over, we'll help you. Uh, Q is an Afghan Muslim gentleman. And uh, he was an interpreter for the U.S. military. He has a, a very uh, interesting story of how he arrived here in the U.S. But, so we got together, and, and his girls uh, helped me sort out the shampoos in this pile, the conditioners and body lotions and soaps in this pile. And then I brought these little sacks, and we, we put these, uh, one of each, into these sacks and tied them up because we're going to give these to the people at the hot dog cookout that we uh, minister to. And so as we're doing this, we're having a fun time connecting together. And Q, my friend, starts to tell me about how a lot of leaders in the world tend to use their position and power for their own gain and benefit. And that gave rise to a thought about Jesus and someone who, instead of using his position and authority to suppress people serving people instead. And and so I shared with him for the first time, this is a story that's brand new to him, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he was locked into it, man. Had never heard that story before. And that was a way to share his story and to invite Q into that story. Even though he doesn't believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior yet, he can start to live into servant leadership, his story. So let's review those five again. Help me. The B is begin in prayer. L, listen. E, eat together. S, serve. S, story. Well, I opened the message by talking about John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I close with a thought that follows right on the heels In John 6.38, Jesus, the divine son, tells his followers that he came down from heaven. But why would he come down here? Why in the world would he cross 
to come and live in the other side of the tracks? Where was the son going when he left heaven and came to earth as Jesus of Nazareth? Was he going to Bethlehem? Was he going to the cross? Was he going to the empty tomb? Was he intending to go full circle here only to return to heaven? Though Jesus went to all these places, he had a particular destination in mind. And he tells us exactly where he was going in the last two verses of John 17. He says to the Father, Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In who? In us. We were the destination of Jesus when he left heaven. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Jesus came as a man, lived a righteous life, died on the cross, rose from the dead in order to cleanse new temples for God. Jesus did move into the neighborhood, and now he has moved into us. Into all those who acknowledge that they are not good enough on their own, and then who receive God's gift of a right standing with him through the Son. We are, friends, the walking, talking, living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ, filled with his spirit, and called to be his agents and ambassadors in the world. I close with a a quote, a famous quote from Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are an amazing God. Thank you that you have created the conditions on earth for life to flourish, for even as something as fragile as a butterfly to be able to exist and fly and flourish here on the earth. Thank you for creating the conditions for which our life is able to be lived out here on this earth. And thank you that you've created us as partners as co-laborers, to help create the conditions for redemption and transformation to take place in our community. Lord, I pray that my friends here, including myself, would offer ourselves in a fresh way 
and would have not only the heart, but also have the mind to serve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The God of the universe is sustaining you. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. May you continue to follow Jesus together in your everyday lives. May you have kingdom vision to see everyone you encounter as a neighbor to be loved as yourselves. May you remember that disciples are grown by the spirit of God within the beloved community at the master's feet. May you create space in both times of work and rest so that the transformational relationships with God and our community might transform us. May you bring peace where there is disunity, division, and discord so that you might be called children of God in a hostile world. The one who called us is still calling us. He is faithful and just to do more than we can ask or imagine. For his kingdom in our midst, go in peace.